Welcome to the Become Who You Are podcast, a production of the John Paul II Renewal Center. I'm Jack Riegert, your host, and I am so excited that you're with me for Tuesday night at the Smith Home Meditation on Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, verses 22 to 30, Sunday, August 21st, 2022. Just a quick review. This is the chance that you're going to have during the week to share the upcoming gospel or any of the readings with your family for the upcoming Sunday. You're going to pick a night of the week, any night of the week, that you can be reasonably assured that the family or friends or your parents or your grandkids or neighbor or whoever, your special person in your life is going to be together for dinner, make it a special uh, night for the family, name it, Tuesday night at the at the Jones home or the Riggard home, whatever it is, make make a nice big pasta dish or whatever you want to do. Get a bottle of wine, no cell phones, no television, dinner and conversation time. And and dad, if, uh, if, if dad's home, he starts by picking something from the gospel. You could read part of the gospel, you could read the whole gospel. But it really the idea is to say something like this, just say, hey, you know, kids, um, I was I was reading the gospel for this upcoming Sunday when we go to Mass. We're going to hear it. And Jesus said this. What do you think he said? In this case, it says, he said, Strive to enter the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. What do you think he means by that, huh? So, hey, this episode is, is titled, Take the Next Exit to a Better Life. Uh, tech, check out the show notes. They give you three different ways there. Uh, that you can have the kids get involved, and they, they are filled with the gospel. You make it a Christ-centered family, and then they go out and become the gospel. You have to do those two things. It all has to work out together. That's the way we've been designed, huh? Hey, before dinner's finished, you rotate, assign the kids a new role, and it's simple, huh? Later, as your kids get older, your neighbors, your friends, everybody, the discussions you have around the table about uh, the news events, the sexuality, the crazy pornography that's going on in this world, one thing after another— it's going to flow much easier or and organically because you're used to this Christ-centered time together. Hey, buckle up and get ready for today's episode. When I read the gospel or any of the readings, I just put myself into that story. Tell your family, your friends, your kids, and just for yourself, put yourself in the story. You know, when, as you start to draw closer to Christ, and over the years, I mean, there's something good about getting older. Over the years, I know the intimacy that you can have with God. I mean, it's amazing, amazing stuff happens to your heart after you've been at this for a little while. Um, so let's get going here, right? Take the next exit to a better life. From the 3S highway to nowhere, that's what most people are on right now. I suggest you take the next exit that leads to the narrow door. Again, it's Tuesday night at the Smith Home, Sunday the 24th, meditation on Luke 13, verses 22 to 30. And someone said to Jesus, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter by the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. You know, the 3S Highway to Nowhere is a busy place, leaving the majority of, Americ- uh, of Americans that are traveling on it totally consumed with self, sex, and state. That's the 3S's, huh? Narcissism, self, is driving them literally insane. College campuses, for one, cannot keep up with the requests for mental health counselors. They confuse sex with love, love with the feeling. The STDs, over half of the college kids now, over half are coming out with some form of STDs. Some of them cannot be cured. Abortions, 
gender ideologies. They have all this stuff has so many people so anxious, depressed, suicidal, and confused that's all becoming meaningless anyways. Finally, uh, we've redefined marriage and the family in so many ways that with little family structure left in place, the state is now our security blanket. It's interesting, isn't it? For as Christine Anderson, a member of the European Parliament, pointed out recently, whenever a government claims to have the people's interests at heart, you need to think again. In the entire history of mankind, there has never been a political elite sincerely concerned about the well-being of regular people. End quote there. I hope that those on the 3S Highway to Nowhere are not foolish enough to think that it's going to be any different today. It's not. You know, for those Americans, though, who are tired, frazzled, and realize the folly of traveling on a highway to nowhere, it may be time to consider taking the next exit, and the exit is marked Luke 13, 2230. Look for that exit, huh? And Jesus went his way through the towns and the villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And, and, and watch this. He just, over, he, he just glosses over that. He's not going to give you a number because what's important to Jesus is not you start to dwell on a number of how many and start to have those debates. He's looking for you. He's looking for me. He's looking for your kids and your family, your neighbor and your friends and the people that you haven't met yet that you're going to share the gospel with. And what does he say? He said to them, strive to enter by the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the householder has risen up and shut the door, you will begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. He will answer you, I do not know where you came from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you came from. Depart from me, all you workers of inequity, all you workers of evil, huh? There you will weep and gnash your teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourself thrust out. And then will come, Jesus said, from the east and the west and from the north and the south and sit at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. There's so much there, you know, this should, you know, Jesus should shock us, you know, when we're with him. You know, I don't know where you came from. We ate and drank in your presence. Now, see, you got to go through the narrow door, huh? You have to have an intimacy with, with Christ. And, you know, you could just see those people weeping and gnashing their teeth, you know, all upset. Narcissistic person, right, that's just spent their whole life dwelling on themselves, taking what they could, worrying about sex and where I'm going to have my next orgasm from, and then leaving it to the state, you know, let the state come in and do whatever it wants to do, long as, long as it, it, it allows me to do what I want to do and, and is there for me, huh? Oh, you know what? The state's not there for you. The state is there for itself. I, I got a, a bridge to sell you, right? You know, experience, though, tells me that in the life of every person, there will be given opportunities to stand for something that will change the course or direction of their lives, the lives of other people, and maybe even of history. That every person, you, me, every person out there, will always be given opportunities to become who they are and transcend merely mundane existence and turn it into something beautiful. The vacuum that's left in the human heart by modern secularism, and that includes materialism and utilitarianism, 
And, and I should unpack those quick. You know, materialism is just this horizontal plane. This is all there is. Whatever you see, whatever it is, that's it. So we grasp and take and we live on that 3S highway. And utilitarianism in, in a world like that, especially sexually, we just use one another. I use you, you use me. And, and, and that's the best we can do. Sometimes we just see a person as an object. We don't even try to, to, to use them and allow them to use us back. We just take and take and take. They're both, uh, they're both not love, not even close to love, right? But that vacuum left in the, in the human heart by that modern secularism, you know, throwing out God, that includes, again, both this materialism and utilitarianism. It's left over 51% of young people now saying that they feel anxious, depressed, or hopeless. According to Mayo Clinic and the Almstead Medical Center researchers, nearly 70% of Americans are on prescription drugs, antidepressants, and opioids were the second and third most common drugs prescribed. You know, the battle for and of the human heart is real. It's as real as the battle going on between good and evil in the family. You see it in the culture and beyond. Jesus is clear. Time is short, and some are going to be shocked that a time will come when the door to eternal life is no longer open to them. They'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, huh? Jesus said again, when once the householder has risen up and shut the door, he's the householder, you will begin to stand outside and to knock and say, Lord, open to us. He will say, I do not know you. Where do you come from? And again, you'll say, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. But he'll say, I tell you, I don't know where you came from. Depart from me, you workers of evil. See, we were created to to to. to be filled with divine life and love, holiness and goodness, and then bring that, shine that light in the world. If we're not doing that, then we're, do we have a good chance of being shut out of the kingdom. Look at this is the narrow door for a reason. And men will come, though, from the east and the west, from the north and the south. They're all invited to sit at the table of God. And you're going to be surprised. And you're going to behold that some that you thought were last are going to be first. And then you thought you were going to be first and you're going to be last. Even if you get in, you know, I, I might be ashamed to even go in there. I'm going to see all these prophets and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Jesus mentioned in here. And the prophets, all those people that came and tried to tell us how to live, how to find life in abundance, how to, how to, how to recapture that which we lost from the very beginning to come into a life of intimacy with Jesus Christ. That's what we want to tell our kids, that God loves them. And that Nero Dory's standing there looking for them, looking for them, looking for them. Get off those those computers once in a while and all that 3S highway, that garbage to nowhere, huh? The self, huh? Another selfie, selfie, selfie. Oh, my gosh. You know, everybody wants to be, you know, the video, a gamer, a, a champion of the world and the, and the, get in as many videos as they can. Use sex is just, you know, this, this daily pleasure that they go for, huh? I don't care how I get it. I just need it. And then the state again. The state, because our families are falling apart, we look to the state. Why, especially when young people today are confronted with clear signs within their heart that not at all is well? If a kid tells me I'm anxious, I'm depressed, I'm saying, let me ask you a couple of questions. I ask them about their prayer life. I ask them, you know, how they, you know, you, know, you, can, you can ask them questions about their life in general, but get them into a prayer. What is your prayer life like? Are you going to Mass? You're receiving the sacraments? Are, are you reading Scripture daily? Are you hanging out with good friends? Are you staying off those computers? And so, I mean, you can go on a computer. I'm on one right now. But, but at the end of the day, that's not my life. 
It's a tool in our hands. It doesn't become my life. My phone is not my life. It's somebody I make calls and I check my emails on. They got to have time for Jesus Christ. So I would tell them the truth. Why don't we have the courage to tell young people the truth? My experience offers me two main reasons for that. First, many of the people who should share share the truth with the young are themselves traveling aimlessly on this 3S highway to nowhere, and therefore they have nothing of any lasting value to share. They're as empty and getting blown around as the next person. Second, those who do understand, those that do try to at least get to the door, the narrow door that Jesus is talking about, they lack courage. They lack conviction. All right, so number one, They're on the 3S highway themselves. Number two, they lack courage and conviction. You know, it's time to grow a backbone. I just got to be honest with you. Time is short. Jesus said, this is why I speak to them in parables, because they look but do not see and hear but do not understand or or, or listen. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them, Jesus said, which says, gross is the heart of this people. They will hardly hear with their ears and understand with their hearts. And be converted so I can heal them. That's Matthew 13, verses 10 to 17. For parents especially, understand that the threats to our families, and especially those that target the most innocent among us, our children, are very real and interrelated. Whether it's the destruction of a child in its mother's womb, or the sexual perversions promoted by the Biden administration, the state that you guys are all so excited about, that are taught in schools, another state institution, are fed directly into our homes via Disney and Netflix, which is all about sex, 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 and the selfish twisting. Modern culture has put targets on the backs of all of our children. Nobody doesn't have a target on their back now. It should be obvious to anyone left with ears to hear and understanding in their hearts that St. Lucia's uh, message is ringing true. And she said again, and I've read this before, but I, I can't, you can't get enough of this. Just remember this in your heart. The decisive battle which we're going through now between the kingdom of Christ and Satan is going to be over and is over marriage in the family. This is the attack. Jesus said to them, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, has nothing to do with the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's from John 8, say verse 31 and and onward. St. Paul II said, of the many paths along which men and women walk, the family is the first and most important. It is a path common to all, yet one that is particular and unique and unrepeatable, just as every individual is unrepeatable. It's a path from which men and women cannot withdraw. Indeed, a person normally comes into the world within a family and can be said to owe to the family the very fact of his existing as an individual. When he has no family... The person comes into the world and develops an anguished sense of pain and loss, one that will subsequently burden his whole life. John Paul wrote that in a letter to families. You know, we have to empathize and sympathize with so many young people today. Be very careful. So many of them have broken hearts. When you when you walk up alongside them, be gentle. You know, when we have the courage to share the gospel, we have to do it in a loving way. Always love in the truth and truth and love. That's why the gospels are so beautiful. Jesus always came down and had dinner with everybody, spent time with them, 
got to know them, but he loves you too much to leave you there, and that's what we have to do. It may take some time. you got to walk with people. If you're not willing to walk with people and be friends with people and listen, John Paul always said, listen. You know, he was the Pope. He was so busy, but yet he always had time to listen. He listened intently. He wanted to hear what was on somebody else's heart. He said it's important to discover anew the many signs of the church's love and concern for the family, a love and concern expressed from the very beginning of Christianity when the meaningful term domestic church was applied to the family. So that name, the domestic church, was applied to the family very early in Christianity. You know, the universal church that goes all around the the world, but the domestic church is the family, where you draw from that universal church from the sacraments of prayer, and you bring them into your home. This is Tuesday night at the Smith home to build up the domestic church. Make sure you have some crucifixes around, some holy water around, you know, some sacramentals, uh, uh, maybe some pictures of, of the saints. For the family has its origin in that same love with which the Creator embraces the created world as was expressed in the beginning in the first chapters of Genesis when, when, when we hear, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And God created mankind in his image. In the divine image he created them. How? Male and female he created them. And then he blessed them saying to them, be fertile, bring children into the world and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That's from Genesis chapter 1, the very first book of Genesis. Before creating man, the creator withdraws, as it were, into himself in order to seek the pattern and the inspiration and the mystery of his being, which is already here disclosed as the divine we. You hear what he said? Let us create man in our image, in our likeness. He's already a we. And then he draws into himself, and then he like he flips the selfie, and he says, how am I going to get holiness and love into the world? I'm going to create men and women. And, and, and how do they image God? Because this is stamped into their very bodies, this spousal call to love. And when the two become one, open to life, become three, this is a love story. This is the inner life of the Trinity itself, that we're, we're a created version of love, that our bodies express love. This is what we're to do. This is what marriage is. Marriage is the model of this inner life of God, this Trinitarian love story. God's not a sexual being, but he created our sexuality, the Father giving his love to the Son, the Son back to the Father. And it's so beautiful and profound, it comes out in the form of a person, the Holy Spirit, a man offering his love to his wife, his wife receives that love, and, and this flow of love back and forth is so beautiful and profound. It is open and open to new life can be can uh, be, you know become a baby, and so you have this image, this model reflecting the divine life it, it itself. And but we cannot live this out unless we're filled with divine life and love first. That's how it was in the beginning before sin came into the world, and Jesus came to restore that image. You know, in many ways, the modern world has rejected God and lives in disconnection from this divine plan in the beginning. You know, there are many families in difficulty or danger, lacking confidence or experiencing divisions or in situations that can be described, John Paul wrote, as irregular. Already in 1994, John Paul wrote, unfortunately, various programs backed by very powerful resources nowadays seem to aim at the breakdown of the family. Isn't that what we're seeing today? This attack, huh? At times, he wrote, it appears that concerted efforts are being made to present as normal and attractive and even to glamour, glamorize situations where, which are, in fact, irregular, irregular marriages and families, he said. Indeed, they contradict the truth and love, which should inspire and guide relationships between men and women, thus causing tensions and divisions in families with grave consequences, particularly for children. 
You know, the children are always the, the ones that suffer when we get into these irregular relationships, especially, um, when, you know, when, when they don't grow up with both parents. I mean, you know, I, 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 so often I get from young people, how come somebody uh, doesn't want a mommy? How come somebody, you know, uh, would rather have two mommies and no daddy, you know? You know and, and these questions come up. The moral conscience becomes darkened over time. What is true and good and beautiful is deformed, and freedom is replaced by which is actual enslavement. We become enslaved to these ideologies, and pretty soon we have a hard time getting out. And look, at I know some beautiful, beautiful people that struggle with same-sex attraction. I came back into the church because of, because of my brother who, who, who had same-sex attraction. Uh, as he died of AIDS on his deathbed, he brought me back into the church. He had come back into the church. And so these are beautiful people. People are brothers and sisters, right? And so we walk with them, we love them, uh, but don't be afraid to proclaim the gospel. You know, in conversation with John's uh, disciples one day, Jesus speaks of a wedding invitation, and this is where we're going. I'll finish with this, this thought. You know, we're the model here, the earthly model, again, of Trinitarian love. But it doesn't stop there. We are to be filled with divine life and love because that's where we're going. See, the 3S highway leads to nowhere, it's on a horizontal plane. What we're doing is opening up to the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, who hangs on the cross, who climbed the marriage bed of the cross, to give up his life for his bride, for all of us. So that's how I'm going to end this. Don't forget, keep your eye on the prize, where we're going. That's why we proclaim the gospel, because the family that's sitting there, you know, your job as a father, especially, but as a father and mother, etc., is to get everyone else to heaven. Your job as a, as a husband and a father is, is, is to get your wife and your family to heaven. Uh, and, you know, and the same thing goes for, for a, a mom, right? So again, engaged in, in conversation with John's disciples one day, Jesus speaks of a wedding invitation and the presence of the bridegroom among the guests. Jesus said, the bridegroom is with them in Matthew nine fifteen, And by describing himself as a bridegroom, Jesus reveals the essence of God and confirms his immense love for mankind. But the choice of this divine image also throws light indirectly on the profound truth of spousal love. Indeed, by using this image in order to speak about God, Jesus shows to what extent the fatherhood and the love of God are reflected in the love of a man and woman united in marriage. Isn't that powerful? Jesus is saying that 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 this image and likeness of, of God, this is God's love that's reflected in marriage. This is a profound thing. You can't play with this. This is the fire of God's love for you, for me, for every one of us, no matter what attractions we have. You know, we, we all have different attractions, you know. Hence, at the very beginning of his mission, we find Jesus at the wedding feast of Cana, his first miracle, right? Ding, ding, ding. There's, there's nothing. Jesus doesn't do these things by accident. By taking part in a wedding banquet together with Mary and his first disciples, he thus wishes to make clear to what extent the truth about the human family is part of God's revelation and the history of salvation. In the Old Testament, and particularly in the prophets, we find many beautiful expressions about the love of God. It's a gentle love like that of a mother for her child, it's a tender love like that of a bridegroom for his bride, but at the same time, an equally intense and an intensely jealous love. It is not in the first place a love which chastises, but one that forgives. A love which deigns to meet man just as the father does in the case of the prodigal son. A love which raises him up, gives him a share in divine life. That's why Jesus wants to come into your home. That's why you got to tell the kids, Jesus loves you. When we read the gospel in our family, kids, I'm reading it because Jesus wants to be here with us. 
It's an amazing love. Entirely, it's something entirely new and previously unknown to the whole pagan world. What would I tell my children gathered around the table on Tuesday night at the Smith home about this gospel? That the narrow door is Jesus waiting for them to say yes. He's like the bridegroom standing by the door, waiting for his bride to say, I do, so that he can shower her with love. Because he's a gentleman. He's not going to barge in. Just like a man getting down on his knee, offering to you know the ring to, to his, his, you know, hopefully his fiance. But if she says no, it's no. Like St. Augustine said, the God who created you without you will not save you without you. I challenge you to get off the 3S highway that leads to nowhere and exit the narrow door that leads to the greatest love story ever told. I would tell the kids, go out and meet Jesus Christ. Pray to him, invite him into your hearts, and then go out. This is how you know you go out and become a person of love. See the link in the show notes for exactly how to do that. Uh, I've got three way, different ways the kids can do that. This is powerful. You you have to finish this by going out because just like Mother Teresa said, you, you know she saw Jesus in the eyes of those other people. I see Jesus in the eyes of my my grandma, say, when I call grandma in, in Ohio, I see uh, Jesus in the eyes of those that are hurt that I give part of our tithe to. Those are, um, I see Jesus in, in my prayer for them at the, at the table around Tuesday night at the Smith home. You'll see, it'll start to change your hearts. Grace is something very, very powerful. It will happen. Hey, God bless you. Shoot me an email if you have any questions. Don't forget to Subscribe to the podcast, write a review if you get a minute, and financially support us if you can. You'll see in the show notes, I'll put it back in there again, uh, we were trying to raise $2,500 was our goal so that we could bring another person on board to work just with marriages and the family, especially, I should say, parents and kids. And we want to put more content up, be able to go to our website and find that content and figure out how to talk to your kids, uh, have your teens uh, give some ideas for your teens and, and how to break this up, how to break these uh, issues open that everybody's asking about with our sexuality and stuff, at, at the even at the table in, in a very easy way, age-appropriate way. So help us a little bit with that. Anyways, we, uh, we're we we're partway there already. I think we have $1,475 a month now. We still got to have pledged. So, hey, help us get halfway there this week. Thanks a lot, everybody. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you.